0: not about what the baggage you bring. It's not about where you've been. It's about what you're capable of doing in the future. And really seeing the value and the potential in any individual.
1: From Deergo Collective, this is responsibly different, sharing stories of certified B corporations and our journey of joining them in leveraging business as a force for good. I'm Ben Marine. Nothing is more delicious than the sweet treat of brownies. Well, except for brownies that create jobs for folks with limited access to employment opportunities. Today I share with you my conversation with the Open Hiring Director at Grayston, which runs the B Corp certified Grayston Bakery. Grayston Bakery makes all the delicious brownies for Ben and Jerry's ice cream with a workforce entirely hired by their open hiring policy. They produce over 30,000 pounds of brownies Every day at their world class manufacturing facility. Their open hiring policy removes the barriers to employment that entry level job seekers face. There's no resume to write, background or credit check to pass, and no interview. Granting access to steady employment not only creates opportunities for individuals, but has a huge positive impact on the entire community. Keep listening to learn how your eating brownies can change lives.
0: My name is Sarah Marcus, and I'm the director of our Center for Open Hiring at Grayston. So that means I work with other companies on replicating Grayston's model of open hiring.
1: Sarah, so you're the, as you said, the current director for open hiring at Grayston, which I'm super excited to talk more about. Uh, to get us started, though, I'm curious, how did you find your way to Grayston?
0: Sure. Yeah. So prior to Grayston, um, I had roles in kind of much more traditional private sector organizations. Um, I have an MBA. I started my career in management consulting, so I was working with um, companies across sectors on their strategic initiatives and projects. I then worked in corporate strategy uh, in the food and beverage industry. And so I would say throughout my career, I've focused on working with businesses on transformational change, but I wasn't always necessarily that passionate about those change initiatives that I was working on. And I always held this firm belief that business had the power to do more and that there were better business models out there that could both produce value for for stakeholders beyond just a business's shareholders, you know stakeholder capitalism, whatever you want to call it. I was very interested in that. And so I found Grayson because i was because I was looking for a business that really lived those values, and um, I was interested in kind of bringing that skill set of working with businesses on transformation and change um, to a business model that I could really get behind. And so I feel very fortunate that I was able to find that in Grayston and in open hiring. And so I get to work with business leaders similar to to what I did in my previous life, except this time we're we're changing people's lives by removing barriers to employment.
1: That is so cool. That is so cool. And and Grayston has a rich and kind of fascinating history in and of itself. And how it was started, and right up through to today, can you walk us through that history and and share how it impacts how the business was running today?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Grayson is is has a fascinating and and long history. So it was founded by an interesting man named Bernie Glassman, um, who was an aeronautical engineer turned Zen Buddhist monk who held this belief that businesses had the power to have a positive impact in society long before um, that was sort of. Part of our general vernacular, this was in the early 1980s, and so he started by making cakes and hiring folks off the street, predominantly homeless people, who he saw not as liabilities on society but as really untapped assets that could create immense value for, for businesses. and. Um, that, that was the beginning of Grayston. And, um, in the mid 80s, he, he came in contact with, um, Ben and Jerry of Ben and Jerry's at, I think it was one of the earliest social venture network conferences. Again, this is before social enterprise was a term that, that many of us were familiar with. Um, and Ben and Jerry's just fell in love with the mission of Grayston and said, you know, we, we have to do something together. And, that was how Chocolate Fudge Brownie came to be, and how Grayson came to be the global supplier of of brownies to Ben & Jerry's, now owned by Unilever. And um, uh, over the years, Bernie and, and built various kind of, he had the for, for-profit bakery, he had uh, several nonprofit activities that he would get into if he just sort of saw needs in the community and would build services to, to address them. And then in terms of how it impacts us today, I mean, it was really founded on some of these Buddhist principles of, of non-judgment and transformation. And it's not about what the baggage you bring. It's not about where you've been. It's about what you're capable of doing in the future and really seeing the value and the potential in any individual that came through the doors of Grace and Bakery. And that's honestly still how we hire today.
1: That's so cool. That's so awesome, and 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 you kind of touched on this a little bit. Grayson Bakery also has a nonprofit. Can you speak a little bit about kind of the nonprofit and what that looks like, and how it's different from the for-profit bakery?
0: So the for-profit bakery, the the, the B Corp, um, is wholly owned by uh, Grayson, not the nonprofit, and so that means that the profits of the bakery are either reinvested in the business or actually fund our nonprofit work. Um, Again, as I mentioned earlier, Bernie, um, would really just go around in the community here in Southwest Yonkers and kind of looked for, for needs and also talked to the employees and, and tried to better understand what were the challenges that they faced and what services were lacking in the community. And then he got into some of those services. So over the years, Grayson has had affordable housing. Grayston has had an early child care learning center because folks needed child care. More recently, we have shifted to more of a partnership approach where it doesn't necessarily make sense for Grayson to be doing everything, and what we know really well is employment. And so our nonprofit has shifted to focus more on workforce development programming and training programs to help folks get employed, and then we partner with others in the community who are better positioned to help our clients or employees find housing or access childcare.
1: That's so cool. I'm curious, how do those partnerships work? Like, is it, does Grayston say, okay, here's the need, let's find the partner, or do partners come to Grayston and say, hey, can we, like, like, I'm just so curious, what does that look like, and, and how do those uh, relationships manifest?
0: Yeah, so, so what we found works best for our employees at Grayston Bakery is for there actually to be someone on site that they can go to, and that can help them address the challenges that they face in their lives that may be impacting their ability to be successful on the job. So that person is not necessarily going to solve their housing problem, but they can refer them to someone who does. So rather than us filling that role, we actually have a partnership with a social service agency, Westchester Jewish Community Services, they're the largest mental health provider in our county, and we contract with them to actually provide a resource on site. So. They're not part of Grayston, you know they're not an h r. so if someone's, let's say facing a substance abuse substance abuse issue, um they may feel more comfortable not going to their employer uh, about that problem, but we have a vested interest in helping them solve it, right because it's it's not you know it it doesn't help us get brownies out the door and grow our business if someone can't come to work the with their best kind of most productive and healthy self so we see this obviously as an investment in our employees um, but ultimately an investment in our business um, because when someone's life is in crisis, it's it's really hard to to come to work um, on time and and do your best work. So we have that model in place and it works well for us.
1: That is so neat. I love that. And now is that something with the arm of grace where you guys do so much in employment land, is that something that you recommend other businesses do? like Have you seen that model replicate? In other places, we're having, you know, a third-party kind of human services, nonprofit help out work well?
0: We're working on it. Um, we've definitely seen other businesses embrace open hiring in terms of how we bring folks in, no questions asked. And we have some really exciting pilots, um, especially with some other B Corps, going um, with with that model. It's been more challenging um, to... to help employers build those relationships. I do think Grayson is unique in that we have this hybrid model, and we are just so embedded kind of in the social service sector in our community that we really understand how to build those kinds of partnerships. But it's um, it's unique, and many businesses are not used to working with nonprofits. Um, and so we are trying to show how that can get replicated um, and that ultimately, again, that it serves their, their business and their bottom line to, to invest in that kind of support for their employees. And they don't have to be the ones to solve the problem because they're not going to be experts on housing or childcare, but that there are those in their community that are, that are kind of there um, to, to help and support.
1: Awesome. So speaking of that, so much of both the bakery and the nonprofit center around this concept of open hiring. Can you walk us through what open hiring is and why it's important investment in community development?
0: Sure. Um, yes, yeah, important to define this concept I've been talking about. So um open hiring is essentially providing a job opportunity, no questions asked. So the way it works at our bakery is if you want a job on our manufacturing floor, you show up in person. We do require that you kind of show up in person rather than call in and put your name on a list. It's really like as simple as it sounds. It's a clipboard. You put your name and your contact information. The only question we ask is, are you authorized to work in the U.S.? Other than that, we have no requirements. We don't do background checks. We don't do resumes. We don't do interviews, even. um, We don't do drug testing. Um, And when we have roles available, we um, call folks down the list. We usually hire in cohorts of about 10 and bring them in and explain to them the expectations of the job. And hopefully, if it's not a good fit, they self-select out quickly. But Once they, once they're with us, I mean, they are employees of Grayston. And, and fundamentally the model is, is about shifting investment away from screening people out and towards investing in employees. So because we spend essentially nothing on recruiting, we have a budget to Use for that that you know case manager that I described, or um, to beef up our onboarding or our training. Companies spend a lot of money screening people out. The you know billion a billion dollar several billion dollar industry background checks, credit checks, all of those kinds of barriers to to employment that um, don't necessarily serve their intended purpose because a lot of businesses with Heavy kind of entry level workforces still face extremely high rates of turnover, you know, some, some of them in the 50s, some over 100, um, in some of the, you know, that food service and, and retail sectors. And so these, these, um, resources that are spent screening people out are really not, not good use of resources. Um, and so open hiring again kind of shifts that towards, um, towards investing, uh, investing in the employees that do come through your door.
1: What does some of that, and I think you touched on it a little bit, but what does some of that investment in employees look like? So they've put their name on, they're called in, and so do they go, is it like a really intensive training? Like what does setting them up for success look like?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really not that intensive. I think that um, we really kind of trust in the potential of any individual that comes through our door to be a successful employee and we we treat them as such. Um, we obviously are upfront about the requirements of the job, um the expectations and in terms of scheduling, um, and you know, some people think bakery and they think they're gonna be, you know, making handcrafted um Pastries or something, and and we are you know a manufacturing facility producing upwards of forty thousand pounds of brownies a day. So we we have to be sure to kind of set those expectations up front. We do also really bring them into the fold in terms of Grayson's values and mission, um, and we really connect. The work that they'll be doing on the manufacturing floor with that mission with what goes into a pint of of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Um, I have found with some of the employers that we've worked with that not every employer is treating you know their average distribution center employee coming in that way that it's really just sometimes about picking and packing boxes Um, but we really try and put The day to day work in context of our broader, um, our broader mission as a company. And we think that that produces better outcomes when people feel connected um, in terms of the work they're doing every day. And then we provide training around manufacturing processes around. Quality around food safety, all of the things that kind of make someone successful, um, in our industry. We do also provide soft skills training, um, things like communication and conflict management and de-escalation. But honestly, all of these things I would say are really just good HR. Um, like our, our, our workforce, you know, there, it's really, it's like any other workforce except that There are folks who have been denied jobs many times over, and so they are stellar employees for us, and we hope more businesses become open to hiring hiring folks that otherwise they might exclude. But the jobs can mostly be taught, you know, in the first few days, and um, again, we provide some of those additional trainings, but the the list in terms of kind of doing open hiring, you know, we really try and kind of dispel this notion that, oh, you're going to, open your doors it's going to be you know the a, a totally different type of workforce and, and hopefully it'll be a more di- diverse workforce but any sort of challenges you may think that you may run into are probably the same challenges that any employer hiring large portions of entry level talent are dealing with now
1: is there like a question that routinely comes up whenever you talk about open hiring from employers that you like just wish you could just tell the world to kind of maybe Squelch it.
0: Uh, yes. Uh, we often get, so do you hire murderers? And then sometimes our question back is, well, how do you know that you don't have murderers on your staff right now? A <laughs> background check tells you who got caught. And just because you do background checks doesn't mean that you don't face risks associated with workplace safety and theft and We really have very low incidence of any of those things. Um, But businesses need to have systems and processes in place for managing the risks that they face no matter who or how they're hiring. Um, It's really no different for us. And I think people have this. Idea in their head of what our manufacturing facility must look like—that it must be just chaos and and flour going everywhere—and <laughs> when you come and visit, um, you real looks like a world-class manufacturing facility because that's what it is. We, we supply Unilever, and they have the highest quality standards. And so we we do really try and and dispel those myths again. That um, if you do open hiring, that you're somehow going to bring in a, a different or more "Quote dangerous population," um, and people also have, you know, misconceptions about who's coming out of the prison system. That m- most of the folks who are formally incarcerated, looking for jobs, are coming out on nonviolent offenses, and they've paid their debt to society. and And wouldn't you rather that person have a job than have to find some other way of making income? So we, we talk to businesses a lot about a lot of those things. We also get the question of, well, is it only, is it just about the formerly incarcerated? And it's really not. I mean, open hiring serves, um, anyone who, for whatever reason, has not been able to get a job through traditional pathways. For us in our community, that does mean we end up hiring some folks who, who have criminal backgrounds. We don't ask what their background is, so we don't actually know. <laughs> Um, who has a background, but anecdotally through through our case manager, she kind of provides numbers in aggregate, and we know that we have a, a portion of our of our workforce that has some involvement, past involvement with the criminal justice system. But we've talked to other businesses who are interested in other employee uh, potential pools of talent, um, such as single moms who may not really have a resume but may want to get back into the workforce, or refugees, or folks who don't speak. English well. And so um, businesses can think about who they can partner with. Again, this gets back to this idea of pro- partnering with nonprofits, not necessarily being a one-stop shop because no individual business can be, um, but finding those community-based organizations that serve the populations that you're interested in hiring who may not have historically gotten access to the jobs that you offer. And they become great Referral pipelines uh, for you, and it can also do some of that wraparound support as well, um, because they're already serving the needs other than the job for those who who they serve.
1: That's so great, and and so I know both the the bakery and the the nonprofit organizations have that the Center for Open am I calling that right the Center for Open Hiring
0: Center for Open Hiring, yeah
1: which helps guide other companies in implementing their own open hiring practices. What are some business models that could utilize open hiring? I know you mentioned anyone with like entry-level jobs. Have you seen any instances where uh, maybe people have thought really creatively about the work that they're doing and have maybe bended some of their work to fit an open hiring model?
0: Yeah, we've thought about this in different ways. I mean, yes, it makes sense for companies who have high numbers of entry-level talent where the training can largely be done in the job to consider an open hiring model. But we also think that barriers to employment can be – you can think about removing barriers to employment throughout the ranks of your organization. So maybe you're doing open hiring for frontline retail jobs for example um but do you really still need background checks up in the C suite or um does that job really require an MBA it's coming from someone who has an MBA or do you really just need that person to be able to do financial modeling and if that's what you need can you just put that in the job description instead of of the educational requirement i mean we we talk about those things and we, we hope businesses can kind of think creatively about that, but ultimately, you know, at the Center for Open Hiring, our mission is to remove barriers to employment for as many people as possible um, and create opportunities for the hardest to employ. And so from that standpoint, we are looking for those industries um, and business models that rely heavily, heavily on entry-level talent. We also then talk to companies who maybe don't have as much um, entry-level talent, but Maybe there's someone in the mailroom, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're a, a bank and there are a couple of, or, you know, back back office jobs that they can really have, create an opportunity, no questions asked. And maybe someone's going to come into that role and do really well and work their way up. That's the kind of creative change that, that we hope to see.
1: And if folks are considering open hiring practices, what advice would you give them for getting started? Like maybe those first few steps.
0: So. Step would be identifying the jobs that would be good candidates for for open hiring. Um, the companies we've worked with are mostly piloting it in one part of their organization. Uh, one of the one of the major pilots we have is with the body shop, a fellow B Corp. Um, that is, they they decided to start in their distribution center. They have a really large need for seasonal talent around their holiday season, and previously they were doing background checks and asking for high school degrees and drug tests, and it was honestly really hard for them to hire as many people as quickly as they needed them. Um, and so for them, that was a good place to start. They they did a pilot. It was successful. Um, and now they're thinking about how did they um, roll that out to their retail stores in a customer-facing capacity. So thinking about kind of that progression is, is a good step to start with. The big one, I would say, is generating buy-in and communicating with your employees, with your leaders, with your customers, with your shareholders. Where we've seen this gone wrong is when companies just kind of start doing it without bringing everyone along through the process, but we think it makes it much more successful when everyone understands what the company is doing, why they're doing it, what's their role in the part, being a part of it. And when we think when that happens, it actually is a really great kind of initiative from a workplace culture standpoint. because. Imagine you're a supervisor, frontline supervisor at a warehouse and suddenly your business decides to do open hiring and you're not just packing boxes, you're, you're changing lives. Um, and we think that that can really bring meaning into the workplace and can be enormously uh, transformative for, for company culture. So I would say developing the roadmap in terms of types of jobs and doing that kind of Communication and, and buy-in, developing buy-in. Um, some of that might be like building your own business case for it. I mean, we can tell you, you know, on average, companies spend $4,000 per hire on screening people out, but that's probably not your cost, right? As a, as a, you know, as an, as an individual company. And so thinking through, okay, where, where can we find value here? Um, and that, that can help facilitate some of those conversations. And then that, that partnership development piece is another, another good first step to start Talking to those in the community who know, you know, what are the populations in our area who are not getting access to employment currently, and how can I partner with these organizations to reach that population and, and better support them? We we think having those conversations earlier on is helpful as well. And come talk to Grayson and we can help you. <laughs>
1: awesome, and and with with, with coming to. To learn more at Grayston do folks come from all over the world or is it is it just really serving kind of the greater Yonkers area or what does that look like
0: we actually have had folks come from all over the world um, believe it or not there are about a dozen companies in the Netherlands practicing open hiring uh, through a partnership we developed a couple of years back with a um, a foundation there that's now kind of working closely with us but largely implementing on their own over there. Um, we've worked with within the US companies from California to Vermont uh, to North Carolina. Um, it there's really interest from all over. Um, we are now thinking about, okay, what is what would a regional ecosystem to support employers doing open hiring look like so that not everyone has to develop these community partnerships, but perhaps if there's an infrastructure of partnerships that can get leveraged across a network of employers in a given region that might kind of facilitate open hiring adoption more rapidly, but we're, we're evangelists and we'll, we'll talk to anyone who's interested.
1: That's so great. Um, I know as part of the nonprofit, Grayston has a workforce development program as well, which sounds like it's about more than just hiring, but actually developing folks once they're in the door, What does that program look like and how, and how do folks move through it?
0: Right, so the Workforce Development Programming is part of our nonprofit, so it's actually serving community members and Yonkers, not necessarily that have come through our bakery, um, but who are just interested in developing their skills, building a new career. Um, and so we offer several different programs. I think right now we have uh, building and construction trades training going on. Um, we do a security guard training. Uh, we also have a transitional employment program for folks coming out of the prison system to call, to clean the streets of Yonkers, um, called the, called the Grayson Rangers. And so that's primarily for folks in the Yonkers community um, interested in those programs. We are. Better integrating that with our bakery population because not everyone wants to work in a bakery their entire lives, um, and it's for some people, but not for everyone. And we want to, for those for whom something else might be a better career path, we want them to, we want to support them in moving on, um, and then create a opp- new opportunity at the bakery for someone else to come through. And so we're kind of developing pathways for folks to go from the bakery into those programs so that you know we can we can kind of meet everyone where they are and figure out what's the best home for them.
1: And is that workforce development program serving Yonkers in the greater area or do folks come either from other areas or leave Yonkers and go to other places looking for work? I'm thinking about like are there like if there are folks listening right now that are hiring, you know, if they, if if it makes sense like hiring from that pool?
0: Yeah, we it, the folks are primarily from Yonkers, although we do, I think, pull from some surrounding um, neighboring cities and counties. And, um, and you know, the great thing about being in the New York area um, is that public transit is, is readily accessible. So do, folks do definitely then work um, in various parts of, of the New York City area.
1: And so shifting gears a little bit. I know Grayston certified as a B Corp for the first time in 2008 with a score of 102.7, which is really impressive. Uh, is your B Corp status something that is at the forefront of how you do business and how your business is run? Or is it more a byproduct of your mission?
0: We definitely talk about it a lot. It's It's really important to us. I think um, in terms of like the chicken and the egg, I mean, we, Grayson has been doing kind of everything that B Corp stand for for, for much longer than B Corps had been in existence. But as soon as the movement took off, I mean, we knew we wanted to be one of the early ones that this, this was important to us, um, to kind of solidify and, and honestly, like better understand the things that had been kind of part of the DNA of the business from the beginning. So. Um it, it was in some ways a byproduct, but it's something that's super important to us and that we talk about a lot.
1: And how has being a B Corp helped Grayston in continuing with the mission?
0: Yeah, I think, I think you know, they say um, you can only manage what you measure. And, and be, being a B Corp, certifying as a B Corp helps you measure the things that, you know, intuitively sound like the right things to do, but it helps when there's actually numbers and metrics associated with them. This is like now the MBA talking. Um, And so it has helped us measure and manage those those indicators um, across a variety of different factors and stakeholder groups. And so while Grayston was extremely focused on our employees and our social mission, um, you know, it's helped us understand our key indicators around the environment and how can we be doing, um, better for, for the environment. So, um, it both helped us kind of broaden our engagement with our different stakeholders as well as then kind of measure and, and manage accordingly. And also, I mean, that the network of B Corps are, is a great network to be a part of. Um, there are some really amazing, innovative companies doing really neat things, and it's helpful for us. I mean, we obviously want everyone to learn about open hiring and then become open hiring adopters, but it's also useful for us to learn from others and hear about other innovative business models and ways in which other businesses are supporting their communities.
1: Have you found yourselves partnering with other B Corps a lot?
0: Yes. Yeah, so some of our some of our key partners are B Corps. I mean, our our Largest customer for our brownies, uh, is obviously Ben and Jerry's and they are B Corp. Um, and so we've, you know, we work very closely with them, both on our brownie, you know, obviously their the brownie business, but also on their hiring initiatives, um, and Unilever's broader supplier, you know, mission to, to source from, uh, Ben and Jerry's call them value, value led suppliers of which we are one. Um, I mentioned our, our pilot was the Body Shop. They're a relatively new B Corp. Well, they're new as a B Corp, not new as a company. But I think similarly, were founded in the '80s by a very mission-driven founder, Anita Roddick, who was focused on bringing cruelty-free, animal-testing-free products into the into the beauty industry, which at the time was uh very new and innovative. Um And so we're really excited about our partnership with them because for them they they really are on this kind of journey post being owned by L'Oreal and now they have a new owner, Natura, that's really charged them with getting back to their roots as a, as a mission-driven brand. And so we've kind of synced up with them and they've really leaned into open hiring as something that they think is the right thing to do um, within their human capital strategy.
1: Do you have uh, any of like just your own personal favorite B Corps that you'd love to hear from, either on this podcast or just in general about how they're they're doing things and understanding more about their businesses?
0: Oh, there are a lot. Um, I mean, the, the big ones are the ones that I, you know, I'm I am excited about Patagonia, obviously. Um, Danone actually acquired the business that I was working for when I was in the food and beverage industry, and so I'm really excited about them leaning into the B Corp movement as a tool for building more purpose driven businesses. Um, and I'm really excited to see what direction they take that in. And I know when I, they, they acquired the company I was at kind of just before I left. So I started to see some of the things they were doing and it was very environmentally focused, which is incredibly important, especially as you think about a food business and, and food security relying on the health of our, of our climate. But I, am hopeful that they'll lean into um social inclusion and social justice work as well and i do think that the murder of george floyd and um recent kind of CEO activism around black lives matter i think you know CEOs are waking up to um the um social and racial inequities in our in our system and that businesses play a role in in perpetuating that and that Hiring is um, one lever that they have at their disposal to to address um, those inequities. And yes, you know, making statements, kind of condemning police brutality is super important and helpful, but as, as business leaders, this is one area where they can really um, move the needle. And so I'm hopeful that B Corps that sometimes I think are rightly focused on the environment will also lean into social justice and not just... From an activism uh, donation standpoint, but in a from a standpoint of you know how can I build a more inclusive workforce and ultimately a more inclusive economy starting with you know my 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 own pool of talent?
1: It's true and really working on building down or breaking down some of those systems of oppression, which i I think you're absolutely right is is huge in hiring like I feel like that's such a huge having access to a job and and I mean of course housing and all those other bits, yeah, that's a great great point and so important for sure. Um, what advice would you give to other companies that are looking to become a B Corp?
0: I would say they should do it. Um, I think they, you know, should start somewhere. I think there are B, B lab, we, we obviously became a B Corp many years ago, so I'm probably not the best position to, to walk a company through the process of becoming a B Corp now, but I know the, that B lab, you know, they, they make it pretty, seamless to, to start that onboarding process and to do, I think they call it the, the impact assessment to understand kind of where they're at. And so I think companies should start that process because I think they're gonna learn a lot. And again, like, you know, it'll help solidify or or uncover, solidify things that you are already doing, but now you can get a little more credit for them <laughs> and uncover areas where maybe you're not doing so well and you really can be doing better. And then I guess the other piece of advice is that to to do it not just for the label and the kind of stamp, which is important, but also for this community of B corps that I've described, um because you'll you'll learn a lot from others and you probably have a lot to bring and it's a really wonderful network of business leaders who are really trying to to do things differently and learn from one another.
1: Looking at how far Grayson Bakery has come since being founded in 1982, What would you say are some of the proudest moments and memories in Grayson's history?
0: Yeah, I think there's there's many moments, um, a few that stand out. I think the beginning of our partnership with Ben & Jerry's that continues to this day. I think we started supplying them in 1987, um, and our business has really grown on the backs of the growth of of Ben & Jerry's and their success as a company, and so the start of that um, partnership it was pretty important, uh, important moment in our history. I do think B Corp certification is another one of those moments that we talk about where, again, we, we got recognition and, and got to solidify the, the things that were kind of underpinning our, our business and our DNA to begin with. And then I think the last one, at least from my standpoint, because I'm at the Center for Open Hiring, is, is the launch of the Center. And that occurred just about two years ago. Um, Grayson had obviously been practicing open hiring for many years and had been getting questions over the years of like, how do you do that? That sounds crazy. And so we decided to take that leap and become educators. Um, so we're not only practicing the model, but we're teaching others how to do it because we have our brownie business and we'll continue to grow it, um, but we can only provide so many opportunities through through that business. And we can maximize our impact um, in much a much greater way by working with other businesses on identifying the opportunities in their organizations where they can remove barriers to employment. And so this sort of more recent event of us taking the the plunge to scale our mission um, and replicate the model, I think, is a is a pretty important moment in our history. And we're excited to see what comes of it, and what partnerships we develop, and um, ultimately who are able to impact by working with businesses nationwide and globally on, on removing barriers to employment and hopefully creating a more inclusive and, and equitable economy.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Definitely check out Grayston's website at grayston.org to learn more about open hiring and access those resources that Sarah mentioned. If you have a wicked sweet tooth and wanted to support Grayston's mission, head on over to graystonbakery.org to order up some tasty treats. They have some great brownie gift boxes too, perfect for special occasions, or let's be real, solving that pesky chocolate hankering. As always, I have all the links in the show notes, which you can find at responsiblydifferent.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a review. A quick update on our B Corp journey. We're currently in that time of year where we are selecting our health insurance plans to offer to our team. And one of the things that comes up on the B Impact assessment is ensuring that there is explicit coverage for transgender individuals. Now, I know how hard this is to navigate because I myself am a trans man and I don't even fully understand the laws, and what has to be written how to make sure my medical needs are covered just like anyone else. So we're reaching out to some local resources and we'll share what we find in the show notes for this episode. Up next on Responsibly Different, I talked to one of the co-CEOs of B Corp certified Badger Bomb.
0: I'm really driven by the impact that we can have as a business. That's what I'm excited about. That's why I came back to Badger and being a family driven business We have the freedom to
1: do that. We're all in this together. Till next time, be responsibly different. This is a production of Deergo Collective, music composed by our own Kevin Oates. You can follow us on social media at Deergo Collective or visit our corner of the internet at DeergoCollective.com.